Mastermind, we taught two master percussionists who has marched to the beat of a different drum. His name is Ralph Roll, celebrity percussionist and entrepreneur. He has worked with many of the greats, now Rogers of Chic, Sting, Bette Midler, Bono, Elvis Costello, Vanessa Williams, Mary J. Blot, Biggie Smalls, Queen Latifah, NDRE, John Legend, He's even worked in television doing jingles for Nike, Burger King, Miller, and Dark and Lovely. He has worked with the BBC and many of their productions also. Maury, Good Morning America, Fox at Breakfast, the NBC Today show, Top of the Pops in Britain, The Late Late Show in Ireland, The John Stewart Show, Regis and Kelly, you have a list of a list, but he's most important CEO of Soul Snacks. 
Whiskey Company and Soul Snacks Cafe. We talk about music and munchies in this awesome segment with Ralph. We're coming at you right now. Hey, Ralph Roll. This is Sabrina Marie. How are you doing this evening? Fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. I've been reading a lot about you, your background, and your wonderful new cookie venture, and I um, hope that you're able to talk about all of that, let our audience know who you are, where you're from, and uh, this wonderful career you have. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Just let me know. Yeah. So where are you from? And I know you started at 18, right? I started um, playing drums at uh, 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started the cookie company after that, mm-hmm. and um, I remained in both fields for my entire life. So, awesome. Up to this point, yeah, I've been playing a lot. Are of you? Drums. A, are you a native New Yorker? I'm from New Jersey. Are you a native? Born and raised in the Bronx. Yes. Uh, oh wow! Still live here. My business is here. Uh, both of my companies are here. So I'm a, I'm a Bronx guy. Awesome. You said that you uh, started playing professionally at 18. What was your inspiration for being a percussionist? Uh, My brother was the one who inspired me to play. Uh, He was the drummer in the house first. And I basically followed everything that he did from uh, drumming to mechanical engineering. So he was my uh, influence. Yeah, my brother's a retired mechanical engineer. He had a a firm in um, Virginia. And I thought at one point that I was going to be a mechanical engineer, but music just was a part of my life, so I uh, stayed with it and kept playing drums. In your career, it, it, it's awesome. You've played with so many people from Dolly Parton to Nile Rodgers, you know, uh, and, and mm-hmm. the list goes on. But before getting to that point, who were some of your musical and your brother's musical influences? My brother was a, a, a very eclectic listener. He um, he loved everything, and he he, he uh, listened to everything. Uh, he also had a reel-to-reel recorder that he would record music off the radio, uh, all different styles, all different types. And then he would splice it together to get the commercials out. And I would listen to oh, wow. those uh, reel-to-reel tapes. Um, and early influences were... Rock and roll, R&B, soul, pop, um, uh, poetry. I mean, he listened to everything, comedy records, just everything. And I have just latched on to it. I saw your website, and I was wondering, um, with the picture I saw, was that in college uh, where I saw you with the the, the outfit? Um, looked like a marching band of some sort? No, that was uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I used to be in a, a, a drummer bugle corps. Wow. The, uh, the New York Lanterns. Uh, and uh, I marched with a couple of other drum corps too. But I spent the probably the best drum corps years of my life uh, was with the Lanterns. Your career began professionally uh you say at 18 when 
did you get the bug to go on the road with the, you know, say the Nile Rodgers? And I'm sure it had to build up to Ben Midler and, um, you know, Bono and Elvis Costello and Erica Badu and Queen Latifah. I mean, it, that just doesn't start overnight. What was your introduction? The first uh, professional gig that I I did, I just uh, got, I just received my drum set and I practiced every day. I was before that I would play on everybody else's kit in the neighborhood because my brother sold the drum kit. And the reason why he sold the drum kit is because his girlfriend uh, was pregnant and my mother put him out. So he needed money. Um, He needed money because my mother said, you are a man now. You're not in school. You can't stay here and be a father. So she made him be a man. Um, the good side of that this story is that they just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Awesome. And yes. And, and, you know, he very emotionally always says that if it wasn't for mommy, I probably wouldn't be the man I am today. So, um, yeah, that, that, uh, and that was a very, uh, important time in his life. But, but for me, my first professional gig came, when I um, got a, an invite from my friend in my building, his name is uh, Wade, Wade Taylor, heard me playing from my third floor bedroom and called me out the window and said, man, you sounded really good up there on those drums. I want you to come to this audition for this group called Musique. They have, um, so I told him I want to go, but I can't go unless my mother says it's okay. You got to ask her. So he came up and he asked my mother if I could go to the audition, and they had a hit song called Push, Push in the Bush. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, that was the name of some big disco. That's a clash. That's a classic. Yeah. And um, I auditioned. I got the gig. It was my first time on a professional gig, first time out of the country, first time on a plane. Um, and it was a, it was a definitely a, a eye-opening experience about life in other places and other cultures in their own environment. And uh, I've taken those early lessons with me. Um, but I continued to get my name passed around, and people got to know me, and, and uh, I started to get more gigs, and and uh, that's how I ended up playing with all the people I played with. Awesome. Now I'm reading about your um, working in television, a showtime at the Apollo when the Apollo Theater actually reopened in the, I guess, 80s. They they finally redid and reopened that. But you've also done things with for television productions, etc. I've only interviewed one other person who was also in the music field, and he was saying that he could either be with a group or he could do what you're doing and what you've done. Um, and that's what he decided to do. Uh, he actually uh, uh, was uh, with um, somebody very famous <laughs> and worked mm-hmm. on a few television shows, the Cosby show and all the, the subsequent Bill Cosby shows. What's uh, his name? From, his name is Art Lisi. He was my neighbor. And uh, he started in the 70s and up through Little Bill in the thousands, worked for Bill with all the different shows and a different world and living single and hmm. what is cause um a synthesizer he was the producer uh of the music for all the cosby shows you're going to see his name at the end with a guy by the name of Stu gardner yes yeah, um, yeah of course 
So you'll see you'll see their names at the end of all the Cosby shows and all the other shows that I've mentioned. And they've been music together, ANS music. I guess they started in the 70s. I guess before my time, but that's when they started. And um, you know, in working within the industry, not only with the artists but television and whatnot, do you have a preference? Um, not really. I think for me, all of it is very, very exciting. I was, uh, I was a jingle writer and producer for a moment. And I really enjoyed that because you had, you were under a lot of pressure to create in a very short period of time. And for some reason, I liked that because I could, um, I could, uh, deliver, uh, within the time frame. Uh, uh, allotted. So I, I, I'm, I think many times I work better under pressure. I don't know what that's about. But, um, <laughs> I really, I really like the the jingle world and um, also production. I like to, you know, write and produce, which I don't get a, a, a lot of time to do. But I just produced a group out of northern Italy called So Much, and they have a really, uh, really nice sound. I did five songs on them, and then their, their current single is called Glitter in My Pocket. Great song. Fun song. It's like a COVID coming out song, but I like all of it. I like the live performance. I like the recording. You know, all of it is just about creation, and, and I like the creative aspect of it. You said um, in interviews that uh, cooking your mother taught you, you know, cooking was actually therapy to a degree after getting out of uh, the touring. It helped you relax and whatnot. Um, I love to cook. And most, <laughs> and mo- and most, most ladies like women that know how to cook. <laughs> so um, I'm wondering, your soul snacks, uh, when did you get the inspiration to do that? And, um, you know, just tell us about when that all started. Uh, the cookie company inspiration came from many, many years before when I was a young man still in single digits. Um, I would, uh, my mother would uh, take us to my uh, aunt's house where my grandmother lived. And uh, the two youngest in the house was myself and my cousin Vincent. And we were the only two boys uh, in the house. My brother was with his girlfriend many times. So it was just me and Vincent. And my grandmother would, would bake, and she would give us the bowl. And you know the bowl. Yes. <laughs> and and she, would, she would sit the both of us at the table on telephone books, and we would sit there and lick the bowl. And to the point that you didn't have to clean the bowl. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but what what was good for me and what I kept was that that smell, that taste that 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 uh bringing together a family and just uh just the wholesomeness of the whole situation is something I never got away from. I just love that uh level of communication with family and how it smells and how it tastes and the, you know you felt like you were the richest person in the world when you were at that time at the, with the family. And I wanted to keep that up. So I kept on learning how to bake and sticking under my mother, learning how to cook. I had a restaurant as well, and and um, it was just a very nice time, very nice time. When did it get to be something that you wanted to do as a business? 
Um, that came right around the time uh, when I was at the Apollo. Um, I met a young lady at working at the Apollo, and um, we moved in together. And the holidays came around, and we wanted to give out gifts. So I suggested the cookies. I said, why don't we just make cookies and give them out to everybody? And, and we did. We went downtown to a 99-cent store and got the, these tins, and we uh, made the cookies, put them in there inside the, the tins and, and sent them out, and everyone loved them. And very shortly after they received, people received cookies, like, these are really good. You should think about selling them. So I had wanted to do that, but that seemed like the right time to, to actually get it started. And I was playing at an open mic at Sylvia's Restaurant, Sylvia's also. And Melba, if you're familiar with uh, restaurants in New York, she owns Melba's Restaurant. And, but mm -hmm. at the time, she didn't have the restaurant, so we... Uh, we're playing an open mic, and she was the proprietor. So I called her up. I said, Mel, I have this idea. I want to sell cookies. Can I do it at the open mic? And she said, absolutely. So I went into the open mic, and we had bags of cookies. Uh, and it was very primitive, believe me, because once she said, let's do it, I wasn't even ready. So I made a label for a logo for my company. Um, I cut it out on a piece of paper. I put school glue on the back of the paper, I put it on the bag, I put the cookies in a sandwich bag, put that inside, and then took a piece of scotch tape and, and closed the bag. And that's what I brought down to Sylvia. And uh, when we got there, uh, we were announced, we gave samples away, and we sold all the bags, just like six cookies for $5. And everyone loved them. And just so happens there was a guy at the bar from an uh, uh, urban magazine called YSB Magazine. It was a magazine that uh, BET used to uh, publish. And he said, I love what you're doing. I'd like to do a story on you. I heard that you're the drummer at the Apollo Theater, and now you're selling cookies. And I told him, well, my girlfriend is also uh, in entertainment, and she also grew up in public housing like me, and she's a Juilliard graduate. Um, and he said, oh, that's even better. Let's do a story on the both of you. So they did. And my sister got involved because I didn't have a phone number to give them. So she gave me her pager number with the pin number. And that's the number that went in the article. And the article came out and we sold a few cookies the first day. And then the next day we sold more. And then the next day we sold a lot and we couldn't bake in the apartment anymore. So I asked my friend Patrice, if it was possible to ask his mother, can I rent uh, one of the floor in her brownstone that was vacant. And he said, I'm not asking my mother anything. You ask her because you know she is strict like your mother. So I got up the nerve and I went to Mrs. Durant and I said, Mrs. Durant, this is what I have. I got to gut your kitchen. I got to take the sink out. I got to take the oven out. I got to put in a convection oven and I got to build a ventilation system and put in a three-tub sink and all of these things I had to do. And she listened to everything I had to say and paused and then said okay and that was our first baking facility and mm -hmm. we've had many iterations of the company from there but that was the first place wow so now you've got uh, the beginnings of the company how fast did it take to latch on nationally uh well we started out small like any company and 
after that first article came out, I got the bright idea to hire a publicist, which is Angelo Ellaby. He was my publicist when I first started 27 years ago. And basically at lightning speed, we were on the TV Food Network, New York Times, the uh, the, the Daily News, the Village Voice, um, Fox, ABC, NBC, uh, all of the outlets took us on. And uh, that's when things just kind of took off uh, with the company. And then um, my my partner left me. She left the cookies, she left me, and I had to do it all by myself, which was very, very difficult because I'm still playing music on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to stop for a couple of years, which was very unhappy for me because I knew this was one of my passions and I do not like to take a break from my passion. So I met my wife uh, accidentally. She was walking down the street and we met. And the the short story is we got together and had a baby. And when she turned around three years old, we decided to start the company back. So I had, I had like a four year hiatus from making cookies. So my first client was Melba, now in her restaurant. My second client was Dougie Fresh. And then I started going out uh, to all of the stores in uh, the city. And in a very short time, we had like 70 stores. And, and I was baking out of an incubator. And now we have our own facility. And we're moving to an even bigger facility. And we also, within that time period, I had a store in Japan. So it was an international product. Awesome. I can't wait to get my cookies. <laughs> can't oh, wait you'll, to you'll get, get them. them soon. Wow, that'll be awesome. I um, know that you can actually write a jingle, so you'll probably uh, already have one for your business. We um, have a couple of ideas, yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I want to. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. I mean, you've been doing that with other companies, you know, Burger King and Miller yeah. and Nike. You know, like wow, yeah. it'd be great to actually see the 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 brand grow and um, you know get uh, get to the uh, different parts of the country. You know, uh, it, it's wonderful to hear about black entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And you've grown up a lot around a lot of uh, businesses. You just mentioned Sylvia's restaurant. Is that still open? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's very famous. I've heard that she has music acts that play there, right? Yeah, um, they. A lot of people have played there. Um, I'm not sure what's going on there now, but I know there was a time when there was live music there uh, on the weekends, and um, then the open mic that Melba did. It was, it was pretty good. Awesome. You've also founded, it says, Fat Cat Productions. And um, I was wondering, are you still doing work with your own production company? Oh, yeah. those jingles? We haven't, I, I haven't produced a jingle in a very long time, which I would love to do. The jingle world has changed a lot since those days. <clears throat> but I do, um, I, I did get back into production pretty heavy with, with the group that I did. And I also produced another group in, uh, in the UK, um, called Axnear. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, been, it's been fun getting back into the creative side and the production side. In your career, you know, spanning decades and whatnot, I know you've got some interesting stories about how you were able to 
uh, get these gigs? How did you meet Nile Rogers of Chic? Well, <laughs> the way how I met Nile, well, the first time I met Nile was uh, I was a kid walking into a music store on 48th Street. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the same time, in walks Nile Rogers, and we just started talking like we were all friends. And he said, yeah, I just came into the city. I've just been a little depressed. And uh, he said, what do you do when you're depressed? I said, well, he said, buy a Jaguar. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's not what I do when I'm depressed. I think I just go to Burger King or something like that. But um, I, for a long time, I was like, I don't know if I like this guy. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, the group Sheik started doing really well. And, and I didn't know much about them. Like the very first time I heard the group uh, was right before I met Nile and the song The Freak was being played at a roller skating rink and everybody packed the floor when the song came on and I asked somebody what is the name of the song and the guy gave me the wrong title. He said, oh, it's called Freak Out. But the song is called The Freak. I didn't realize uh, it was, wasn't Freak Out. But that's when I started to really get into uh, the music of uh, Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers. <clears throat> so now years and years go by, and I hear that um, uh, this was after the drummer passed away, Tony. They were looking mm -hmm. for a new drummer. Tony Thompson. Uh -huh. Yeah, they were looking for a new drummer, and they were supposedly holding auditions. But it was basically a publicity stunt because Omar Hakim, a very famous drummer, already was given the gig. So I really wanted to audition, but he, he had the gig. Now, many more years passed by. I would say at least 15 years go by. Omar is no longer in the band, and I'm at my daughter's school at a play, and my phone rings, and I don't usually answer the phone in times like that, but I saw who was calling me, and I knew the only reason why he was calling me because he was looking for somebody to uh, probably sub for him. So I excused myself, went out to the lobby, and I, I spoke to Nathaniel Townsley, he says, I'm playing with Nile Rodgers and Sheik, but I have another gig. Can you do the gig? And even if I had a gig, I was going to sub my gig to do the Nile Rodgers and Sheik gig. Wow. Um, so he called him and said, okay, Ralph is available. They sent me the music. I do as I normally do. I listen to what they sent to me, and then I listen to all the originals uh, of those songs, and then I wrote my own charts. And... Uh, I then get a call that Nile wanted to hear me before we uh, actually went out on the gig. <clears throat> so he booked studio time, or someone did. So myself, Nile, and the bass player uh, at the time was Barry Johnson. We go in the studio. Nile says, okay, let's start from the medley, which is uh, just about in the, the, the uh, second quarter of the show. So I flip to my page where the music is, and we hit it. We get about two and a half songs in, and Niles says, okay. And he stops, packs up his guitar, and he's leaving. And I, I said to him, uh, was everything okay? He said, no, you sound fine. I'll see you in Switzerland. And when I get over to Switzerland and we play the show after it's done, the singer comes up to me and says, now wants to know if you want the gig. And I said, well, what about Nathaniel? She said, well, it's not really his gig because Nile was trying out people until he heard uh, someone that he thought could could fill the chair. And this 
do you, do you want the gig? And I said, yes. And that was about 15 years ago. So we've been together that long. It's been great. I love working with now. I asked you that question about uh, uh, your gig and uh, Rogers because we're talking about um, a, a monster in terms of not only the whole chic. Um, I believe he was with New York City, a group called New York City before yes. that. Yes, yes, um, yes. And that is, that is true. Okay. I, I just, very I was, true. I was, somebody, somebody mentioned that to me. And when mm-hmm. I listened to the song um, that they released, I was like, that does have a chic influence. So that's probably true, very much um, in the groove. And I get back to the groove because he's uh, produced Madonna. Uh, but many soul artists have been behind much of the music that you you hear. I mentioned Nile Rogers. We are talking about somebody who's produced many people, not only in the the soul funk world, pop world. And um, I know that if you played, you know, you mentioned uh, music. Um, many of the grooves that we hear in dance music, even to now. Uh, it's done with percussionists, people who can write from that vantage point. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, there's been some incredible, um, not only producers that are drummers, like Al Jackson, who produced um, Al Green, um, but there's been some great drummers that have taken the front position uh, to become megastars from... Teddy Pendergrass to to uh, Jeffrey Osborne, <clears throat> you know they were drummers. Uh, some great producers like Narada uh, Michael Walden uh, was a drummer. It's 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 a great. I guess it's understanding the rhythm and the feel. Hamilton Bohannon. I mean, I could go on uh, as far as what people want will feel and how they feel and what you know what you want to give them as far as. Um, the sound and the groove. It's more. It's all about that groove. And so many guys oh, that yes. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From from Justin Timberlake, you've got Borderline, James and um and others yes. with uh, Madonna. Um, mm-hmm. you, you've got many people who have uh, been able to get that soulful groove to where now um, you want to kind of where R and B fits in, but you heard right. that come back with um, uh, this year with Bruno Mars and uh, Soul Sonic and Anderson yeah. Pack with. Uh, right. uh, so you're it's slowly but surely coming back to the vocal yeah. and uh, the lyrics. It's coming mm-hmm. back. Your SoulSnacks dot com and your Soul Snacks Cafe. Tell us about the cafe. Well, the cafe opened up in 2019 in August on my mother's birthday, August 17th. Awesome. And we were we were doing very well, and then uh, the the uh, COVID hit, and we ended up closing down for three months because uh, we didn't know exactly what was going on. That the current administration had had basically censored. Um, Fauci, and you can tell that it just was not a lot of honesty, and we didn't want to get sick. So we closed the restaurant, um, and ultimately we got sick anyway, and I had COVID, my wife had COVID, and it was horrible. Right now, or have you gotten over it? Oh, no, no, we had COVID when it first started in March. Oh, wow. And you're okay now? 
Oh, we're fine. But it, but she was sick Amen. for a really long time. She was sick wow. for almost ten months. Yeah. Yeah. So she um, she was a long hauler, and uh, so we opened up again. Finally, we didn't get funded the first PPP around. We got funded the second. So that we took that money to reopen the restaurant, and then uh, we were building. Things are going, starting to get better. <clears throat> and then the second variant hit, and we bottomed out again. And sorry to say, but we had to close our restaurant. It was really hard, really hard. Do you think yeah. you'll come back? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt that we, we're um, about that. We, we will be coming back for sure. Probably in 2023 or 24, that we'll open the restaurant again. Awesome. Well, snowsoulstacks.com, or you can find them in Walmart and how many other outlets? Right now, we're in Walmart, Kroger, Hilton Hotels, Home Shopping Network, Amazon, and Bed Bath and Beyond. This is awesome. Great interview. Thanks so much for being with us. I want you to come back when the cafe opens and if you have other uh, adventures with this, it would be great for our audience to hear about it. I would love to. Absolutely love to. Thank you so much. God bless you, family, and business. Thank you. You too. Everybody stay safe. Thank you. You too. You've been listening to Building Abundant Success with Sabrina Marie. Copyright June 17th, 2023.